We Saw a Thing is a movie podcast about remakes and sequels. We, we saw a thing and talked about it. This week, the guys are talking about Dawn of the Dead. The following conversation has been edited for brevity. Are you about to take a history lesson, Chris, into the wonderful world of George A. Romero? I enjoyed one of these two movies. I'll give you one guess which one. <laughs> I don't think you enjoyed... What is considered the greatest zombie movie of all time? I'm sorry. Dawn of the Dead, the original, is considered the greatest zombie movie of all time? The horror community has come together, basically worships the feet of the original Dawn of the Dead. That's the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard. I mean, I personally like Night of the Living Dead way more than Dawn, but as far as sequels go... It's one of the sequels that's arguably this movie surpassed the original. Okay, that was going to be one of my first questions is, was this sequel to something? Because I felt like part of the reason I didn't like it was because the movie started as if I already had a bunch of information that I just clearly didn't have. The only thing you're supposed to know with Dawn of the Living Dead that happened from Night of the Living Dead is that this is the progression of the apocalypse, of the zombie apocalypse. So you're not supposed to know any of these characters or anything? No. Okay. No characters come back in any one of Romero's films. Not to say that they all die. Obviously, at the end of this, we have two who escape, and we don't know what happens. It it felt like I should already have built-in care for these people. Like, there's nobody redeemable in this movie. Everybody sucks, and everybody makes dumb decisions. Nobody's smart in this movie. I don't understand. Oh, see... I disagree. I think compared to the 2004 Dawn of the Dead, nobody making right situations in any case in that film. There's nobody redeeming in Dawn of the Dead 2004. When I feel like we get to spend a lot of time learning about Peter and Steven and even Roger to some extent, even though he's gone far too soon because of his own reckless nature, the dumbass. But for me, we spend so much time with the other characters who, in my opinion, do do the right things, like backing the trucks up against against the mall so that we know nobody can get in. And they build the dead wall so they can hide behind. And after a while, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, you would be feeling pretty secure. You would be having a great time at the mall. There's a lot of satire, I feel, in both of these movies. But for me, the 78 version, I like the characters way more, way more than the 2004 version where I'm literally just waiting for them to die. Yeah, see, I just, Steven was just like this raging a-hole. There was nothing redeeming about Steven. Peter just, I've never seen somebody as an actor move in such a weird herky-jerky way, so, like, he really bothered me. Roger was just yelling and seemed to only be in it for the kill until all of a sudden his life was on the line, and then he was pan Like, they back up the trucks, but the zombies can just very clearly go underneath of them, and then, who cares? <laughs> and if you're protecting from people, like, the, none of them, none of the plans made any sense to me except blocking off that stairwell. It just seemed 
seemed like an excuse for a lot of screaming and running around. Everybody just seemed to be doing their own thing and not really care about anyone else. Like, take Peter, for instance, at the end. It's just him and Francine left. They've just killed Stephen. And Peter's like, nah, I'm going to stay behind. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay, he's going to buy her some time while all the zombies are coming in. Her and her baby can escape. But no, he just goes and hides in a bedroom. And then it's like, once he's overrun with zombies, he's like, wait a second, I don't need to be here. What am I doing? And then he has to go and like, and again, the music swells and it's this big hero moment of him jumping on the helicopter. Like none of this movie made any sense. It just seemed like everyone was just running around doing just who cares, whatever, without a plan. It was, um, this was a bizarre watch to me, man. Yeah, I, I totally get coming into this blind, not having any of the history. It's a long movie. This is the first time I tried to have the extended mall hours version, which is two hours and 40 minutes. And I, like, I've seen the original Dawn of the Dead at least three times. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go all in with the longer version. You know, I, I still think it's, it's pretty great. Uh, Tom Savini's effects are fantastic. When they're tearing apart and yanking out intestines, I can't get enough of it. It looks so good. <laughs> well, as we often talk about with these older movies, the practical effects are, are they're fine. Like the blood looks terrible in this movie, uh, but the intestines and stuff were fine. So let's talk about that. This is the first time that a zombie movie uh, by George A. Romero was able to be shown in color. So uh, the Night of the Living Dead, you didn't really get, you, you knew they were gray, but everything's gray. It's a black and white movie. So this is the first time we get to see, like, what do they actually look like? You know, they have this gray blue to them. I think Steven is, like, to me, one of the best zombies. His acting improved when he became a zombie. I know. He's a great zombie. He's got those eyes pushed back into his head. He, he looks like he's just been mangled, and he starts hobbling along. One of the interesting things about the George A. Romero series is how the progression of the zombie becomes in the first one, lots scarier when you don't know the rules, like destroying the brain or removing the head is something that comes out in night of the living dead. But then what we learn is that you can also burn them. You have these zombies in the first one that are, they just walk and they want to eat you and that's it. And then in this one, they have this sort of memory with Steven. He sort of remembers which way to go to tear down the wall. In Day of the Dead, we're starting to get a cognitive thinking. And then in Land of the Dead, which is as far as I went with this series, basically humanity has built this island paradise with giant walls and nothing can get in. And at that point, they're like sort of cognitive and living on their own the zombies until they realize what they're missing so it's a progression of the apocalypse really is what the story is about and with this being the second piece that little piece of memory for zombies comes into play but now are the zombies supposed to be a metaphor for like 
American brainless capitalism? Is that why they were in a mall? Am I reading too much into this? No, the satire is there. That is why they had that music going and everybody wandering around the the mall as if they used to do that all the time, mindlessly in the mall. So that was something that Romero wanted to add. But he also got the idea because he went to a mall one day with a friend and the friend was like, wouldn't this be a great place to hide if there was an apocalypse? And he was like, yeah, actually, like you could do a lot in a mall, barricade the doors. You have all this stuff, all this stuff that everybody wants, which he has that great scene where they're just having a blast because they're safe inside. Let's goof around in the mall, uh, which is replicated in the 2004 version. So, yes, so there is that in it. But ultimately, I think he wanted to create another zombie movie because his first one was like the greatest independent movie at that point. Uh, the most successful because people went out in droves and it was such a low-budget film. So It's a weird one for me, man. I, I feel like I'm either trying to read too much into it or I just don't get it. I don't get why it's got the kind of ratings it does. I don't know why people enjoy this. But that said, I watched the new one and I'm not a big Zack Snyder fan. As soon as I saw that James Gunn wrote it, I got more excited because at least that guy knows how to write characters sort of but like i really enjoyed the new one well really i enjoyed the new one <laughs> the humor landed a bit better for me certainly the acting was better uh having the zombies run was fantastic the opening sequence where they wake up in bed and the little kid is running towards them and then in the car when sarah Polly's leaving her house and she's all covered in blood and there's just explosions and things happening all around her i thought that was super engaging it was such a great way to get me into the story quickly and then have her as a character that I cared about right away. The whole thing felt stronger. Like it felt like they had proper motivations for things. It felt like the tension between characters made more sense. Felt like their planning made more sense. And then his stuff started to fall apart at the end uh, and the girl going to run after the dog. I mean, even that made sense. She was just kind of hysterical and I mean, we've talked about this with some of the other movies we've done in this series too, right? Where like sometimes all you have to do is rearrange a few pieces and then everything just kind of falls into place a little bit better. But this is the first of this podcast series where I've watched an original and then a reboot and it's just very clear that I enjoyed one and not the other. Whereas the, the others, it's been like, well, I've just kind of enjoyed both or I haven't really enjoyed either. And this was so stark to me. I, these are two very difficult to compare films. You have one that's made for a 2004 audience. It is fast-paced. You've increased the speed of these zombies. You've increased the violence of these zombies. It is way more about survival instead of the smart things to do, because I still don't think that they're particularly smart people. They turn on each other every chance they have the guy who just wants a kid and he lets the zombie have the like bonkers stuff is going on in the Zack Snyder, James Gunn version. Whereas the original version playing to a 70, 70s audience, your lead is a black man, just like the night of the living dead was. There is something to be said about society there. There's a biker game that comes in and, you foolishly think you own this place, so you start a, a gang war with these assholes instead of trying to figure it out. That's 
a conflict that is more exciting than, hey, we let this guy, security guard, out of the jail and immediately we're cool with this guy again. Almost immediately we're okay with giving him a gun. But to me, they're two completely different things that are way too hard to put together. Yes, there are zombies. And yes, there's a shopping mall, but that is it. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's why I think that this is the first George A. Romero thing I've seen. It didn't land with me at all. I don't understand it. (laughs) Uh, I still think I'm missing something. But as I'm watching the new version, and you know I don't have a ton of love for Zack Snyder. I think he's a crappy storyteller. But James Gunn knows how to write. And so there was some structure there that meant that landed to me in a in a different way. So maybe it's just that like the original is just for an audience that I don't understand. And the new one sort of I get what they were trying to accomplish. Certainly it had that Zack Snyder-ness to it where he just never seems to understand the heart of a character. He just really likes to frame a shot well and have those hero moments and then call it a day. And this was very restrained for him. I agree. <laughs> it wasn't as Zack Snyder as I was expecting, but I'm pretty sure this was this was one of his first movies, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. This was one of the movies that uh, succeeded so well for him in the studio because this is a big, successful film. So worldwide, this is over $100 million. Domestically, uh, it made $59 million. And this is not a really well-known cast of characters. Obviously, Sarah Pauly and Kevin Zegers, these are like Canadian talents. Ving Rhames is your big superstar at this moment in history. Nobody knows who Ty Burrell is. That was funny casting because uh, I know him from Modern Family and so to see him as the a-hole character the the, like ladies man that was amazing to me. (laughs) I got a lot of laughs out of that just because of like who he is as an actor now. (laughs) And this is a this is a shoestring budget like 2004 28 million dollars. That's a small middle range film for Universal to take a shot on and Zack Snyder delivers a hundred million worldwide. That's that's a huge win for him because this was right after Twenty Eight Days Later. The fast zombies are in and cool. He wasn't the first one to do it, but I would say he did it very effectively. I mean, certainly as I'm looking through his IMDb here, it's Dawn of the Dead, then Three Hundred, then Watchmen, then Sucker Punch, then Man of Steel. So very clearly. He's had a progression of style over substance that has has moved in a very style direction ever since. He is often helped by great writers. So to have James Gunn write Dawn of the Dead gives him some character. To have Chris Nolan involved in Man of Steel gives it some character. But then when he goes off and does his own thing with like Sucker Punch, that is just a there's nothing happening there that's redeeming at all. But it looks great. You're <laughs> so right. He shouldn't be a director that's left to his own devices ever absolutely you know give him scripts and some producers who understand how to structure things with with characters and people that you care about and then you get better movies so george a romero as well is known as like the godfather of zombies zombies before the night of the living dead were basically like haitian voodoo people who were had a curse put on them with magic and they acted like zombies interesting this is the first time that the traditional zombie in the Night of the Living Dead ever was seen before. They called them ghouls at that point, uh, and it wouldn't be until years later when people would adopt them as zombies. 
So this is also an audience who didn't really have a lot of zombies going into theaters. I mean, there's just a lot of Romero history here that, you know, I, I saw all the living deads before I saw the new Dawn of the Dead. To me, growing up in high school, zombies were slow. They were not these fast-moving violence factories. If there was one zombie, you were usually okay. If there were hordes, you were screwed. Until 28 Days Later, you know, we'd never seen the evolution of a zombie where now they're running in hordes, and that is terrifying. Oh, yeah. And Dawn of the Dead, I think, it's terrifying watching a little girl at the beginning of the film who you just saw roller skating backwards jump onto her feet and tear ass at a door. Not to mention the husband or the boyfriend or whoever Sarah Pauly had sex with in the first scene jumping up and his eyes are white and he is just as vicious. It's remarkable to watch a film was a little bit more subdued, a little campy, a lot more comedy in the 78 version than the 2004 version. I, I like them both. I think I agree with you, Chris. If I watched Dawn of the Dead for the first time ever today or yesterday or whenever you watched it, it would be a hard go. Knowing all the history and, and having my nostalgia with it totally makes it a movie that I can watch, I think. There was just so much that didn't make sense to me and seemed stupid. As an example, when the biker gang shows up and there's the one biker dude who seems to just want to keep sticking his arm in the blood pressure machine. Yeah, man. And that was like a running gag that seemed really stupid. It is. I don't understand the humor there. Steven, he's in with all the piping in the mall and there's the zombie around and he's just like randomly firing and bullets are winging all over the place. And that was like a really long scene. And that didn't seem to go anywhere except that like just to prove that he's a bit of a moron. He never got to be less of a moron. Like I really appreciated that in Zack Snyder's version, dude from Modern Family is named Steven and he's just kind of a raging a-hole through the whole thing and then just gets killed unceremoniously at the end because I feel like that's what the character of Steven deserved. And and so I feel like that was just James Gunn going, eh, that's what should have happened to you. And then also being like, well, you've got this pregnant woman and that didn't really, like that's why I kind of wondered if I meant to already know these characters because then at the end they fly away and there's been nothing about Francine being pregnant in the entire movie that has made a difference. It's not like she's so pregnant that she can't be of any help uh, because, you know, she's about to have the baby. And so like moving stuff around or construction work and stuff would be difficult for her. It's not like there's complications to her being pregnant, which lead to like some difficult problems medically to solve that they would have a hard time with. Nobody really seems that concerned with protecting her and the baby. <laughs> So that that whole storyline didn't seem to go anywhere. And so I'm looking at it going, okay, well, maybe there's a sequel where she has the baby. Maybe this is just part of her journey as a character. But if you're saying that all the characters are always different in all the movies, I'm not sure what the point of her being pregnant was other than to just like have her and Steven have a bit of a riff. Do you see what I mean? Like there's just there's so many things that didn't seem to go anywhere. I kind of think that that is the point, right, is. All of these people at stages in their life have been upended. And of course, there would be pregnant people who are upended and there'd be people who are really good at the military. And then there'd be pilots who like are kind of assholes 
it's always a hodgepodge of specific people from backgrounds that are either alienated or misrepresented and then they come together and that's usually the thing about the Romero stories is that he wants to showcase different lifestyles different people coming together to work together for this insane reason showing you that it's more important than ever to come together races creeds different backgrounds etc and that's what i always seem to see in romero movies i don't think zack snyder's version does that very well with that said it is a different era it is 2004 uh, there's still like rampant homophobia in this movie. It looks like everybody's really judgmental of Mackay Pfeiffer, who had a bad life, I guess, wants to have a baby really bad. But it, at the beginning, the three white guys with guns, like persecuting them. And, uh, you know, there's a nurse and Michael who's got a good head on his like it's bringing all these people together to see if they work well together, I think. We're not of the world from 1978. It was a different time. Watching that movie would have been a different thing to watch, especially being white or black in America. But obviously, one of the funny things about it is that we can all come together to get to the mall. (laughs) It's so interesting that that's the thing that you're bringing up, though, because I didn't feel like the characters came together in the George A. Romero version. Like, they were kind of getting picked off and sure, like, it seemed like they were having fun once the place was all secure. But again, that whole sequence where Peter shoots Steven in the head and the zombies are coming and he looks like he's going to sacrifice himself to make sure that Francine can get away, and it turns out that's not what he's doing. He just goes and hides. It never felt to me like he was fighting for anyone but himself. It always felt like at the mall they were more looting than really like preparing for anything. But in the Zack Snyder version, it really did feel like, okay, well, let's come together and have a plan and then execute on that plan. It all kind of goes haywire near the end, which maybe if they don't send the dog over to give the guy some food, maybe that comes together in a bit of a different way. But Michael at the end, who sacrifices himself... Because he knows that him coming along is going to hurt everybody. And so he's giving them their best chance by sacrificing himself in a way that Peter didn't. It's not like he was bitten and knew that he was going to turn into a zombie. And so to save Francine, he's going to hold off the zombie horde. Whereas that's exactly what Michael does at the end of the 2004 version. It's so interesting to me that all of the things that you're pointing out about what George A. Romero is trying to accomplish in the original movie, those are the things that that specific movie did the worst at accomplishing, (laughs) and the newer one did the best at accomplishing when we're comparing the two. It's just so interesting because each of these things you're pointing out, and I'm like, yeah, but it did that poorly in my opinion. It's so weird. Yeah, the ending, uh, Peter's ending in the 78 version is always weird. I told, I'm with you, 100%. It's a weird ending. I think in the past I've argued, well, of course you would save yourself. Like, yeah, you gave her a little bit of time to get away and you ran and hid, but then you'd want to save yourself. You wouldn't want to die if you didn't have to die. And uh, obviously he gets out to that helicopter too. I think Romero writes, his characters are have a a lot of stuff going on in there, you know, and maybe that was an act of 
heroism for a moment, and then it was back to cowardice. Maybe he just wanted to give her enough time so he could escape too. I don't know. It's a weird ending. A lot of the time I uh, when I watch that, I kind of feel like, did they screen this for people? And they were like, Peter cannot die. So they had to like <laughs> figure it out. I mean, Michael's death at the end is also, it, it's great. Like he understands he's going to stay behind. Uh, you hear the gunshot. So obviously he killed himself. And then the found footage, it, yeah, it didn't matter at all because they got to an island and it was overrun. An interesting fun fact is that The Land of the Dead, which came out after this film, is still a part of that George A. Romero series. And that one introduces that zombies don't have to breathe. So they go under the water to get to the island. Oh, well, that's terrifying. Yeah, but that came out after this. So when we're watching this one, we've never been introduced to... Well, actually, that's not true because there's a zombie movie called Zombie, Zombie 2, from Italy, where a zombie is under the water fighting with a shark. So it had been introduced before this, actually. (laughs) So maybe that's what happened. Maybe they all walked along the ocean floor to find a new island, and that's what happened. You know, with this whole exercise that we're doing these past few weeks, the thing that I'm learning is that I shouldn't have avoided horror movies because I don't like being scared, but I should have avoided them because I just, they don't land. (laughs) I don't get them. You don't get that. And that's okay. They're not for everybody. Yeah, I'm finding that. And you know what? We're going to watch a remake soon that is not a horror movie, I'm sure. And you're going to get it perfectly. We'll see. I don't know. This is, I mean, this has been a really interesting journey because we are doing a lot of movies that are outside of my comfort zone, quote unquote. It has been interesting to watch these movies because like you're saying, like, I know that Dawn of the Dead is a classic. Movie buffs talk about Dawn of the Dead as being a classic. I don't understand but that doesn't mean that it's not still special to people, which is great. Did either the 78 version, well, probably not the 78 version, but the 2004 version, did you, were you scared at any point? No, because I think like the most terrifying thing in the 2004 version potentially to me would have been that the baby was a zombie, but I was expecting that to be way worse than it was because I kind of saw it coming right from the beginning. I was like, oh, totally, that baby's going to be a zombie. But I thought it was going to eat its way out of its mom. And I thought that was going to be horrifying. And there's things that I'm finding in some of these movies where I'm like, wow, thematically, that is a terrifying thought, right? Like Village of the Damned, that's a really terrifying thing to happen, to have everybody just lose time and then all these women be pregnant randomly. Like, that's that's terrifying. Right. But that's not scary, Right. Like, I think the thing you're asking is, you know, jump scares and am I looking over my shoulder? Am I like having nightmares? That kind of thing. Right. And none of these movies have connected with me that way yet. You know, what's interesting is that if they had thought of the baby idea of the baby being a zombie before this movie, because I think that's James Gunn's addition to the zombie lore. I don't know how many zombie babies there are in the, in the zombie zeitgeist. That seems like a very James Gunn thing. Yeah, and it really is. I mean, like when you look at Slither, if it had been done in 78, I will argue they would have done it as gross as humanly possible because the practical effects guy, he was a genius. He's one of the greatest practical effects guys who ever walked the earth. And uh, he's in the movie. He's the leader of the motorcycle gang. 
Tom Savini is the practical effects god on Dawn of the Dead. He'll go on to do so many other practical effects in the world. Like he's a he's a master, master practical effects guy. If they had done the baby in the original 78 version, I think exactly what you thought would have happened. The baby would have ate its way through the stomach. That would have been horrifying. <laughs> the 78 version is way, way grosser. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the thing that deadened that a little bit for me was the blood effects. Like every, it looked, it just looked like ketchup. Like it looked thick and like paint more than, than anything, which I didn't realize the original, uh, or the, the movie before this one was black and white, which would have been fine in black and white, right? It wouldn't have mattered. So if this is the first movie that George A. Romero has done in color, he wouldn't have known. It would be like Peter Jackson having to go back and refilm parts of The Hobbit it because at a high frame rate, the, the sets and the makeup don't look right. Right. It's not like he's going to go back and refilm all of this stuff because some of the makeup effects look weird in color when they didn't in black and white. Yeah, this was, uh, I think it was 10 years after the original Night of the Living Dead. And the original Night of the Living Dead was in color. Uh, when was the Night of the Living Dead? I might be wrong. It might have been 20 years. Nope. 68. Yeah, 10 years. God, why do I have this information in my brain? <laughs> Seriously. I don't know how it's just in there. Like, oh, that was like some girl's phone number from the seventh grade. Something like that. Like, all of a sudden, Night of the Living Dead is 10 years before Dawn of the Dead. It's just in there, Chris. This is ridiculous. You didn't remember that you made the list of what movies we were going to watch on this little run. I had to remind you of that, but you do remember that this movie came out 10 years. <laughs> Next time on We Saw a Thing. Next week, Jay and I tackle an odd one, an Alfred Hitchcock classic, and a shot-for-shot remake done in the late 90s. We're watching Psycho kind of twice. Let's see if Vince Vaughn is a good Norman Bates. Join us next Thursday. We Saw a Thing is hosted by Jay Kennedy and Chris Shapcott. Produced by Shapcott's Media. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And check our show notes for links to our social media and credits. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts.